Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Move Your Mind. My name's Nick Brax, and this is a podcast where we have real conversations with real people and give real advice. On today's episode, I want to welcome Mello Kalako. Mello is a certified mindfulness facilitator with over 25 years' experience. He learned to manage highly challenging and stressful situations, build mental endurance, and rise above adversity from his life lessons on the road where he cycled, trekked, and traveled over 30,000 kilometers around the planet on his mountain bike. This was one of the first recorded episodes of Move Your Mind, and we just want to let you know that the team are working incredibly hard behind the scenes to improve audio quality and create the best possible experience for each and every one of you. Melo, thank you so much today for having this chat with me on my new podcast, Move Your Mind. Uh, I've known you for some time now, and I've worked with you on some breathing techniques which have actually made a really profound difference in my life, and uh, that's why I wanted to bring you on here. The work you're doing is amazing. I know how much uh, benefit you bring to everyone that you work with. So I think you've got some really good insights and just want to say thank you for coming on here today, mate. And yeah, looking forward to this chat. Great. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. I love the title, Move Your Mind. It's a perfect uh, title and I definitely fit into that category. I love sharing anything movement-based, anything mindfulness-based, anything that connects with that. So yeah, thank you for, for having me on the show. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, to begin with, can you just give me a bit of a background about yourself and what you do and um, how you came, you know, to be on the path that you're now on, sort of what led you here what, and, and a bit about your background. Sure. Wow. Where to start with that one? It's a, it's a big yeah. question. Uh, it's a that, big one. Yeah. It's a big one, yeah. So I'll, I'll, can be a bit of a brief overview on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I'll probably take it back to, to about three decades ago, I'd say. So um, at a time where I was probably feeling a bit directionless, a bit purposeless, um, doing jobs that I wasn't really enjoying, uh, working in all sorts of different situations. And uh, I found meditation actually through, through martial arts. So I was actually practicing martial arts and I found meditation practice through um, what's called Shaolin Kung Fu and Chen Style Tai Chi. And I very quickly realized that actually the meditation itself was a really big aspect of it. And in regards mm-hmm. to mental strength, um, the meditation was even better than the physical strength. So that's where I decided to immerse myself in, in the practice of meditation. And it'd be fair to say that it changed my life basically. So you know, it gave me clarity, it gave me focus, it gave me direction. And then I pretty much have spent in one way, shape or form uh, in immersion and in meditation and many different practices I, uh, for the next three decades after that. So up until the point now, and I'm still continuing to explore, you know, still exploring the various aspects of it. And um, not only did I go within, so I spent many years you know, training within and, and I, I have a practice which I've had pretty much for three decades and I don't break that. Um, but I also you know, sought externally and I, I went traveling around the world and I actually cycled around the world on my mountain bike as you do and it, um, it took me about three or four years and along the way I basically stayed in monasteries and temples and pretty much immersed myself into the spiritual practices of that place or you know staying with indigenous people and I, I really learned a lot in those in those years so it's a that was the turning point I would say when you know, 
traveling, immersing myself in it and just spending you know, many years in it. And now having all that experience of you know, traveling through the Eastern philosophies and also you know, learning all different aspects of mindfulness along the way, um, I share it in my professional role and I love it. I love it. I, I share it in um, the corporate space. I do a lot of corporate seminars and workshops, um, you know, courses. I also work in sporting associations where I, I teach mindfulness for performance. I work in uh, mental health clinics. I teach mindfulness and also some movement-based therapies in uh, mental health clinics, both for inpatients and for outpatients, people that left the hospital and come back. So yeah, I love it. I love every day that I do it. And I'm learning, I'm learning more from you know, my practice, but also from the people that I share it with. Yeah, amazing. And it's a pretty incredible journey that you've been on uh, and that you still are on. And that was the next thing I was going to ask you about, about how you, you know, you cycled through Asia, Africa, um, India, and all these different places. And, you know, what you learned through that, as you've just said, you know, that really uh, shaped a lot of the work that was to come. How, how important was that? And how, I guess, how important is it that we, you know, we might not all be able to go and have an experience exactly like that, but that we do um, give ourselves that opportunity to really learn about other people, other cultures and about ourselves. Cause I feel like a lot of the time we don't, we put other things, you know, above that. And we, it's so focused on just what's happening right now and just trying to keep up with life that we don't really have that opportunity. You know, how important is that? And how, and how important was that for you? Well, first of all, I definitely learned about myself, you know, being, being by myself for many occasions originally the trip was supposed to be planned with six of us doing it so six friends of ours sat around the right. top of the table and we planned it by one by one unfortunately they got a bit scared or for one reason or another they all actually um didn't end up doing it so i, I did it solo which was my first lesson really like to actually you know to go for it and you know, give it a shot and to trust i think the biggest lesson was trust first of all trust yeah. myself trust myself that I believe it, that I have all the resources that I need to do this. And then once I went onto that journey and you know, immersed myself and put myself in all sorts of situations, you know, life challenging situations, near death situations, all sorts of crazy adventures, as you can imagine, I also learned to trust, trust, trust myself first of all, but also trust the people around me, trust, you know, trust that shaky bus that you catch up into the Himalaya, trust the people giving you the right directions uh, trust the, the the culture and the people and um, yeah it was a beautiful experience uh, so big lesson was definitely trust and that gave me a sense of belief in myself and that transcends now even like you know to what I do you know always you know, trusting that no matter what's going on in life and even in this situation we're in right now that you will always have the resources inside of you if you can tap into them you don't need to cope with the future. You don't need to think too far ahead, but you always mm, have the mm. resources. So that was a big one. And yeah, I've got thousands of stories I'm sure I could share with you along the travels, but um, yeah, just learning many lessons on the road. So if you ask me where I learned my mindfulness lessons, it wasn't necessarily from a book you know, or from a course. It was yeah. from all those lessons that I learned on the road. And then later in life, I became certified as a mindfulness facilitator and you know, performance coach. And I, I have the piece of paper that says so. But really, it was actually the, the lessons that I learned from you know, you know, digging deep into those things. I caught malaria in Africa, which was a, a, a testing lesson. Um, yeah, yeah, awful situation. So having that sense of belief and trust and going for it, like you're just going for it and, and trusting the process along the way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, that's, that's more relevant than ever right now, that, that message of trust. I mean, there's so much uncertainty in the world right now and... I think we need to bring things back to, you know, simplify it a little bit just 
have that trust. You know, we can control only we can only control what you know we, certain things, and certain things are out of our control. But we can choose yeah. to trust that things are going to change, things are going to improve, and we are going to you know get through it. And uh, I, I feel like yeah, society doesn't really set us up, you know, to be to have those tools to deal with uncertainty and these different things and we're you know so fueled by fear so i think it's um you know such a, a great message there and i mean were you when when you were confronted with that situation were you close to pulling out when all of your friends were pulling out and you were ended up going alone on the trip or was that um you were close to it yeah 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 definitely yeah and especially the people around me were saying you know you're crazy to go and you know, they almost want to drag you down not to do it to be in the north yeah so. And I'm glad that I did it and I'm glad that I went alone because you know, it shaped what I am now and it actually um, taught me many, many lessons. And, and because I could travel solo, I could yep. do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. I didn't need to rely on anybody else. Um, yep. Yeah, so it was a big lesson. And uh, yeah, you're right. Like right now, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of you know, fear. And, and a lot of that is media fed also. There's a lot of you know, false media or misinformations coming out. So um what I try to do whenever these things happen is actually I, I try to look at the polar opposite. So if there's fear, if I, if I start experiencing fear and you know, feeling it and thinking and get fed by fear, then what's the opposite of fear? And then I think, okay, the opposite of fear is trust. Yeah. Okay. So I'll yep. feed my energy with trust and, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll focus on that more. I'll face what I, what I did learn on my travels is also to turn towards your fears to look at them and face them a little bit face on and just analyze them a bit, not to run away from your fears, but just to turn mm. towards them. And um, yeah, so that really taught me that actually there's a, a quick story I might share with you on that. Actually, there was a, Please a do, yeah. yeah, there's a situation where I was in, in Nepal and um, it was a really weird situation because the, the whole Royal family was assassinated in one night. I'm not sure if you remember that it was um, 2001, but uh, Prince Dipendra, his name was, he actually, took a machine gun and he actually gunned down the whole royal family, the king, you know, everybody in the royal cousin was 12 or 13 or all in all. And um, oh. yeah, it was a horrible situation. So, so Kathmandu turned really ugly and you know, I'll cut a long story short, but basically we got caught in a riot. There was a big riot because they were actually um, angry because you know, the prince shot the king. But actually the weird thing was he got crowned while he was in his bed because he shot himself afterwards. He actually uh, put, turned the gun towards himself, shot, it, shot himself, he's on life support system, sorry. And they crowned him as the king, as the next king. Really weird. So he, yes, the murderer, yeah. Yeah, he actually got um, <coughs> crowned. So the people turned angry to cut a long story short and we got caught in this riot and, um, and uh, this situation turned really ugly. And I was in the fight and flight mode, full fight. I've never seen anything like it. There was tear gas, there was sh uh, shooting, there was rocks being hurled everywhere. Never seen anything like it. And I was running in all directions. Everybody was running in all directions. But then one man that actually recognized us from back in our guest house, he actually took us by the hand and, and turned us towards the crowd that was actually going crazy. And we walked through the crowd and he led us through this um, polluted pit back to our, our guest house. But the lesson I learned from that was instead of running and, and fearing and you know, scattering, being reactive, was actually turn towards the situation. You know, gently turn towards it and face it and then analyse what you need to do you know, from your you know, mindful headspace and, and do it like that. It's a really big lesson. And that stuck with me a lot, actually. Like whenever there's fear or uncertainty, gently turn towards it. Observe it with a bit more of a, you know, a, a from a calmer place. That was a really yeah. that stuck with me ever since. 
I can imagine, and thank you for sharing that, mate. It's um, a pretty incredible story. <laughs> um, it's insane, but that is, yeah, that message is just so important for all of us, you know, because our natural reaction is to seize up and to um, ruminate and just sit in that fear and tell ourselves that, no, we can't handle this. And it, when, whenever we do that, it just it um, elevates it and it builds and it becomes a bigger and worse situation than it was at the beginning. So if we can just, like you're saying, and I think that's probably the important part as well, just in that calm way, not making it out of a huge deal into it, not trying to think too far ahead about what's going to happen more, how in a very calm way can I just confront this and, you know, face this fear and deal with this situation right now rather than letting it become a, you know, bigger thing. Exactly. It it depends what feed, what energy you want to feed. So you can feed the fear if you like and make it bigger than it is. And same with anxiety. Uh, Anxiety, the opposite of that is sort of like calm. So you can Mm -hmm. feed the anxiety or or you can come from a calmer place and turn towards it or uncertainty, the opposite of that is security. So always looking at those you know, polar opposites and you have a choice on what you want to feed, basically. So if you keep feeding the fear and uncertainty, it's going to get bigger and bigger. So uh, turning yeah. towards it, you know, responding mindfully and you know, creating space around it. And I know, yeah. I know it may be difficult in the moment, but you know, again, coming back to that trust, trusting yourself, trusting that you have the resources inside of you to cope with that situation you are in right now not tomorrow not the next day not the next day but just right now and just having that inner trust and that's a really good mindfulness practice to have that internal wisdom and trust and calm and operate from that place operate yeah. from, that, from that deeper trust it takes a bit of work but obviously you know the more that you practice mindfulness the more that you can sit with yourself and get to know your reaction to things or get to know your relationship with your emotions then you can actually mm-hmm. come from that, that calm place. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, the message for people listening to this. It's you don't have to be incredible at doing this at the beginning and you don't have to, you know, judge how you respond or how good you are or how difficult it is. It's going to be hard like anything. You know, you, people need to look at it in the same way that um, I'm overweight, I want to lose weight. It's going to be really difficult to start exercising on any level every day, but if I start doing in small increments and build on that, I'll lose the weight. And the same with this, if we, if they can just start doing little, you know, we might not be great at it, but start just being aware of it even. That might be the first step. But the more you practice it, the better you'll get. So not expecting too much at the beginning. It's, I think that's really a common barrier for people to, you know, start putting these things into practice. That's one of the most yeah, common barriers. Absolutely. That I've yeah. Definitely. Good, good point. And most people say, I don't have yeah. time for 20 minutes of meditation. I don't have time for 10 minutes. But I encourage people to do two minutes. Just two minutes is enough just to learn to yeah. deactivate the stress response, to tap into your breath. It, a really simple mm-hmm. practice is just follow your breath for 10 cycles. It only takes a couple of minutes. And that's a, yeah. a great way to deactivate that stress. And you know, Keeping it simple is, is the key, really. Doesn't, mindfulness doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be tricky. And a lot of people don't take it on because they think it's a complex science or theory, but it's actually really simple. And chances are you are doing it already. You know, when you're mindful doing your exercise or when you're mindful doing your sports or whatever it is, you're practicing mindfulness already. So it's just a matter of just being more aware. The first step is awareness. You're right there, Nick, with the first step being aware. Yep. And yep. You know, a really simple technique, like if you're feeling a bit anxious, like, from, from the get-go or through the situation or you're feeling a bit of anxiety coming, just first thing is to pause, take a few breaths, take a few deep breaths into your belly region, bring your mind down into your body 
And then from that place, it might be five breaths or seven breaths or you know, 10 breaths or whatever it is. Even two breaths even is enough to deactivate the stress. And then from that place there, then we can actually tune into our senses, into the present moment. A good thing to do is like, you know, what do you see right now? What do you feel right now? What do you hear right now to tune into the present moment? And then observe your thoughts from there, from that place. So pausing, stopping, mm -hmm. tuning into the senses, and then observe those anxious thoughts or those fearful thoughts or whatever they are. And then you can make a more educated decision on whether those thoughts are useful, whether they you know, mm -hmm. serving you well, whether you can let them go. You know, just really having the observer's hat to them. And if they're thoughts that are carrying you away into this, you know, catastrophizing or ruminating thing, then you know, look at it and, and say, are they real? Is it true? Are these thoughts true? And also realizing the impermanence of the thoughts, these thoughts will pass. So that's where I, I think those three steps, stop, pause, breathe, just, you know, just breathe, tune into the body and then observe a really simple technique. And that takes literally two or three minutes. I love that. And I, yeah, I love just, you know, it's simple. It's something anyone can do. Um, anytime anywhere it's not not overwhelming you so it's like it, it something we should encourage anyone listening to this to you know to really try and do if if something overwhelming comes up don't overcomplicate it just stop pause breathe um and sort of can you tell us a little bit about mindful moves you've been running that for um or how long have you has that been going for and can yeah give us a bit of a background on that in various guises, yeah, it's evolving all the time. And um, yep. the, mindful, the movement part, the movement aspect of my mindfulness practice and what I teach is um, um, coordinating movement with the breath. And especially for someone with high anxiety, for example, it's actually so, it's quite difficult to ask someone with high anxiety to go sit down and meditate because chances yep. are their mind is even busier and it can, can be counter, you know, counterproductive, basically. So uh, I do often when working with high anxiety or you know, very wired clients to actually teach them to access their presence through their body. So I've designed a set of moves. There actually there's a set of moves, very, very simple moves. And they, that in coordination with your breath, so they would bring your mind and your breath, basically connect your mind, your body and your breath together. Mm -hmm. And when we do this, we can access our presence and our mindfulness through our body. And that's a really good tool. You know, even exercise, you, you know yourself, doing exercise is a great way to come present, to you know, let go of stress and all those things. So this is a similar thing where we actually do movement, but we tune it into our body through our breath. You know, really simple. Okay. I get yeah. great results from that, especially in some of the mental health clinics that I work in, where you know, there's a lot of... It's, quite hot, uh, either deep depression or high anxiety, quite extreme cases. And the movement aspect can really help with that, really help. Yeah. Um, and, and as you're saying, you know, you work with organisations all over the country. What, what's a common, a common issue that comes up in the work you do? You know, do you see a lot of anxiety, stress? I'm sure you see all sorts of things. Is there a fairly common thing that you see in the work you do that is a problem, a big problem in society? Overwhelm is a big one. Yep. Overwhelm is a really big one, especially in the corporate space. You know, there's tight deadlines, you know, very fast pace that we're living in now, you know, trying to keep up with that pace. And that often leads to anxiety and that often leads to also insomnia is another big one that I hear. You know, people just aren't sleeping because they're overstimulated. Mm. And, mm. and that's where I teach the practice of if you can deactivate that stress throughout the day just by a simple breathing technique. And what happens when you tap into a deeper level you know, physiologically is when, when we 
do diaphragm breathing or breathe deeper into the belly, we activate what's called the parasympathetic nervous system. And that's the opposite of the fight and flight. So then we actually you know, learn to deactivate that stress through the day. So the more you can do that through the day, chances are by the time you go to bed at night, you can sleep better because you've actually mm -hmm. processed your thoughts, you've deactivated all the, the, the stress and you know, the adrenaline and cortisol that's going through the body, and you've actually activated the polar opposite, which is that parasympathetic nervous system. So yeah, it's a common thing. People are overstimulated. They're always plugged into things, and we just need some time out sometimes. We just need to turn things off and tune into ourselves yeah. for a moment. And that's, that's yeah. a really yeah. Absolutely. Like, we just don't do it now. <laughs> Most people don't give themselves permission to actually. No, no. They don't allow themselves to stop for 10 minutes because they think they'll miss out on something or they have to keep moving. So you know, my advice, give yourself permission to stop for three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, because then guess what? Your next 20 hours or your next two hours or your next 10 hours will be more productive. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's, that's the problem where... We're so connected now that we, you know, you can be lying in bed at 11 o'clock at night, you know, trying to go to sleep and you're checking your phone and worrying. You're like, we're never switching off. And it's if you can't switch off, you just burn out and the quality of work will go down. So it is so important that we, you know, have, that we're strict with it and that we're giving ourselves that permission just to things, you know, our world's not going to crumble if we have five minutes, half an hour away from the phone and the, you know, technology turned off. It's actually going to be a positive thing. We're going to come back and be clear and we might actually give ourselves that time to problem solve and think creatively and then come back and, you know, revisit a problem from a different standpoint if we can have that time out. Exactly. We need space. We, we all say we want more time. We all want more space. But as soon as we get yeah. time, we pick up our telephone and we scroll through it mindlessly and we fill up our, yeah. our head with more things. The other common thing I hear on that note exactly is what you're talking about is, you know, people waking up with a telephone by their bedside first thing in the morning. They have, they, they have their alarm clock, it's there, it goes off, and then you know, 7 o'clock or 6 o'clock, whatever time it is, they check their phone and they might check their emails and then it's like their mind gets flicked off into reactive mode or they start checking some silly Facebook feed or Instagram and they're no longer then in their bedroom waking up. Their mind is already like catapulted out into the stress of the day. So um, this is why I invite people just to try to deactivate that as much as possible and, and own your morning by waking up mindfully. Because with mindfulness practices, there's two main practices. There's what's called the formal practice, and that's the where you have to stop, you know, close your eyes and do the meditation, whether that's two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, or 20 minutes. I personally do two 20-minute practices every day, seated practice. So that's the yeah. formal practice. That's the meditation. That, that teaches you, you know, trains your attention to be more focused and strong, also that open awareness. But there's also what's called the non-formal practice. And the non-formal practice is all those thousands of things that you do in your day, but you do them more mindfully. You know, from waking up in the morning, not checking your phone, from brushing your teeth, to having a shower, to eating, to walking, to communicating, to driving, all these things. And if you can pay more attention, then you're training your attention to be more focused on that thing. And I believe they're both equally important. They're both you know, mm. important in the way because if you can't focus on having a shower, I often ask the question in my, in my corporate seminars, I often ask the question, when you're in the shower, are you really in the shower? Like, are you really saying, I love the smell of my, my shampoo today. It smells so good. Or, and <laughs> the water temperature is just perfect. Or are you already at work or are you already thinking of a thousand other things? 
So if you can't, yeah. if you can't just be in the shower for three minutes or five minutes, how can you then focus on other things? So that's where, Absolutely. They, that's where it's a really simple practice. And you know, if I could ask your listeners today to just choose one thing, just choose one thing that you do every single day and just give it your full attention for the next seven days, let's say. Well, let's say it's eating, for example. Just eat. When you're eating, just eat. No computer, no telephones, nothing else. Just eat. You know, engage with the flavors, engage with the food, engage with it fully. And then from there, you're training your attention to be focused on one thing. And yep. the more you do that, you, you'll enjoy, A, you'll enjoy the food more, but B, you, you know, you're training your attention to be focused on things. And it's a really good practice, a simple practice. Choose one, choose, choose one simple thing, because once you choose one thing, you can anchor other things to that one thing. So for, sure. for example, myself, I go for a morning walk. Yeah, that's non-negotiable. I go for a walk every single morning. That's my exercise. I do a bit of Tai Chi practice or martial arts, and then I sit and do a meditation. So then I'll Yeah, anchor, yeah, yeah. I've anchored my meditation to my walk and then I finished that and I have a healthy breakfast. So now I've anchored my healthy breakfast to my meditation. So you can just keep anchoring things to a good habit. It's a really good thing to do. Yeah. 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 I think it's critical because otherwise, you know, you can wake up, some people will wake up, you're having a bad day. You've, you know, you're anxious that morning and the hardest thing often is just to get started. But if you know, no, I'm getting up and the first thing I do, I go for a walk. Okay, then the mind starting to, you know, filter and then you move into the next practice. So it's it's a really, really critical thing. And it sounds simple, but it, that is how you create these routines. And um, yeah, I mean, like you're saying before, it, it's it's really unprecedented, the world we live in now where we are just connected to technology 24-7. We're way overstimulated. It's not, our brains aren't built to be taking in this much information and, you know, we're we're not meant to be so focused on so many different things at once. It's, it's really not good, not what we're built for, but it sort of leads to the next question I wanted to ask you. I've been doing some breathing work with you, which um, I have found heaps of benefit in. It's been amazing for all aspects of, you know, what I'm doing and just life in general. But, um, you know, from what I've been learning with you and um, looking into it more, it's pretty surprising how we're not, generally aware of our breathing and how we how it's so connected to everything in life yet we're not really taught about it um like why in society do is it not a thing that we're in general you know more educated about it's such a simple thing isn't it really it's such a simple practice actually if you look at a baby like if you look at a child or baby they are natural belly breathers so if you look at a baby their belly rises and falls with their breath and it's a natural thing that we do. It's later on when we you know, begin life and get faster and start going to school and work, we actually start doing more shallow breathing. And mm. typically we associate shallow breathing or even holding your breath with stress or anxiety and tightness and con- con- um, constriction in that area. Yeah. Then we actually have to relearn how to belly breathe in a way. It's kind of crazy. We have to relearn how to breathe again and, um, yeah. and bring the breath lower into the body. So it's just a, a physiological thing that's you know, happened. We lose that capacity because we just move in a faster pace. And unless you actually um, observe it and, uh, and aware of it and, and take a, a, a actual approach where you're going to do something about it and mindfully do it. I've been practicing belly breathing for you know, 30 plus years and it becomes natural for me now. So it's actually a natural process. And especially if I am in a stressful situation, I'll purposely bring my mind to my breath 
and connect with the moment through that. So it's a funny thing that we've just lost the capacity to do. It's really, I can't explain why really, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird thing, but if we can just relearn to do slow breathing, because the moment that we actually slow breathe, like I said before, we activate the parasympathetic nervous system. You cannot actually be in a fearful state. So it's, it's a bit like a primal response, like in fight and flight response, when the amygdala fires up, it sends a message to our body to go and fight and flight. We, we our, our muscles are all the blood's diverted to our muscles. We're in this high alert state and our breathing comes up here. Whereas if we slow breathe and bring it down, it's the opposite, which is called the rest and digest phase. You cannot be in a heightened state, slowly breathing. And I, I encourage a slow exhale. So you could take a nice deep inhale in through the nose and then a really slow, long exhale. And that just tells the body and the mind that you're safe. Tells the body yeah. everything's fine. Everything's absolutely fine. So, um, you know, I learned that many years ago, you know, going back to my traveling stories. Um, but before, yeah. I, before I even left um, my cycling trip, I was actually caught in a really nasty storm. I'll give you this quick story here. And, um, Cut a long story. I'll make it short because I'm aware of the time. But basically, I was I was be, I was caught in a storm where I my bike got hit by a tree, uprooted a tree, and actually hit my bike. It cut my leg open, and my my cook set and my tent was all damaged. My bike was damaged. So I, I was in a situation where I actually was becoming hypothermic. My lips were turning blue. My fingers were turning blue, and externally, the world around me was absolute chaos. There was you know, horizontal rain. It was freezing cold, sub-zero temperatures. I had nowhere to go. Absolutely nowhere to shelter. So the only place I could go was within. So I, mm. I remembered my old breathing technique that my Tai Chi master taught me many years ago. In that moment, and I started breathing, and I, I counted my breaths. You know, ten. 100, 200, up to 1,000 even, just to stay focused on my breath. And slowly but surely, I noticed that I actually felt safe. I felt secure. I felt absolutely at peace. Meanwhile, around me, there was a, you know, a storm going on, but I was so internalized in my breath that the external world didn't matter anymore. And I actually meditated for 12, wow. hours, 12 hours that night, all the way through from dusk, all the way through to dawn, and just... I felt okay. I felt totally safe inside myself. It was <laughs> really God. weird. Yeah. My lips, my lips were okay. My, my, um, my body temperature rose. So that just really instilled in me the power of the breath really instilled in me the power that you can tap into the breath in any situation and take control because that's one thing you can control. Yeah. Yeah. You sometimes cannot control the situation around you many times, even right now, but you can control your breath. And the good thing is you've got your breath on you all the time. So you can actually you know, control that and, and take control of that. Once you can anyway. take, yeah, then you can control yeah. your reaction to things by controlling your breath. Yeah. So, so it's a really, and that really instilled in me. And that, that's obviously a real storm we're talking about there. But you know, right now yeah. we're, in, we're in a literal storm where there's a lot of chaos around us. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of uncertainty and fear, like you said before. But if you can just tune into yourself through your breath and find that, safe secure place inside of you that external noise will soften that external noise will no longer you know affect you so much yeah so that's you know, really yeah powerful. really powerful and yeah thank you for sharing that story as well but um i think that's why the breathing is such a great technique because it's like what you were saying earlier with meditation a lot of the time people say oh but i can't sit still my mind's racing where do i begin whereas breathing it's very practical just focus on the breathing you can't really you know it anyone can do it no matter how crazy your mind is moving so it's just such a simple and practical thing that anyone can start off with and and you know build on from there 
it's a really, really, really good thing. Um, so, I mean, you've already given us a lot of different techniques and ideas, but with this current situation, what would be sort of your general advice to people listening? How can, you know, what are some really simple things we can do daily for people that are uh, really suffering and finding it difficult to see light at the end of the tunnel and, you know, just keeping a bit of normality in day-to-day life? What are some simple things we can do? Yeah, I think doing some things for yourself is important. Yeah. Like, like choosing, starting your day mindfully, like I said, you know, having a good walk and starting your day in the right light, perhaps a little meditation practice, a healthy breakfast. I always ask myself at the end of my day, I say, did I do something for myself today? Like, did I actually do something for me? And obviously I'm working, I'm helping other people and supporting other people right now, but I always try to do something just for me that's going to help me emotionally, spiritually, in any other way. So, you know, setting little goals is a good thing. Like, you know, if you are suffering anxiety, you know, setting some two or three little goals through the day, just to even get up in the morning, go for a walk is a good start. You know, have your shoes by the side of your bed, you know, get ready so you can do that. But then just choose another thing that's just for you to, to nourish you, to, to help you, to you know, support yourself. The more we can support ourselves, the more we can then support others around you. And the other great thing is, you know, the mindfulness practice, of course, where I said, you know, choose one thing and do it more mindfully. Then, then you focus more on what is happening, what is happening in the moment, as opposed to all the what if scenarios that, you know, are going on in your mind. You know, so choosing a, a few things to be engaged with throughout the day and give them your full attention. And I'd say another one would be a bit of a gratitude practice because, you know, there's a lot of negativity right now. There's a lot of things mm-hmm. that are happening and we're getting fed a lot of, media and negativity of the people around us so tune tune that around or turn that around into something positive what are you grateful for right now and doing a simple practice like writing down three things you're grateful for right now and also to share that with people around you sharing kindness and compassion because no now more than ever people need more kindness and compassion and I've been in, as I was saying before, you know, different crisis situations around the world and um, not obviously on this scale, but basically sure. um, it's a crisis situation. And what I see, it often brings out the worst in people and it brings out the best in people. And I choose to spend my energy focusing on the best, like, you know, helping people, supporting people as much as possible. So what can you do to support the people around you? What can you do to make someone's day today? What could you do? Just pick up the telephone and check on an old friend and the more we do that, like check, supporting other people, we actually feel good about ourselves for doing that too. So there's those three, three sort of things there, a bit of a gratitude practice just to be grateful. Right now we're probably realising the things that we might have took for granted before. You know, the simple thing like going for a walk with your family or visiting friends or going to a cafe and reading a newspaper or things like that. You know, so really being grateful for what you, you can do right now. And then that, that mindfulness practice just to stay engaged in what you're doing, I think is very important. So hopefully that's a, enough to, to get going. Yeah. And then, and then always just tune into yourself, really like spend some time with yourself and do something like it could be an opportunity. Now you might take up a new hobby or take up a hobby that you didn't have time for before, like pick up a guitar or learn a language or something like that. So use this opportunity now to, to do something great. And, and it's a, a great opportunity. Yeah, yeah, it really is, you know, look at it, reverse it and look, okay, you know, when was the last time I had this much downtime? What are, what's the most important thing? There might be five, but, you know, what's the number one thing that I've been putting off for years that I really want to do? I'm going to do that right now. You know, it's like make the most of it. We don't 
know when we'll have this time again. So, I, I mean, I keep reminding myself, I, I like I was telling you, I've um, come back from Vancouver where you were talking to me as I was actually coming back um, and I'm spent. I'm living with my mum and dad at the moment, and I'm. I just keep reminding myself. Well, when in the future will I be spending this much time uh, with my mum and dad? I don't know when it will happen again. So I'm trying to just look at it in that sense and think I've got to make the most of this and be with the family and really enjoy this, the fact that I've been put in a situation where I get to have all of these other experiences that. I wouldn't have been having if it wasn't for it, uh, and you don't know when that will happen again. So it's a it's a really important thing, you know. We don't want to look back on it and think that we wasted this time. Yeah, these opportunities now, then, like you said, they may never come again. Like homeschooling, for example, is a big thing that's happening now. I have two young children, and the thing is, if you're homeschooling but your mind is elsewhere, you actually don't enjoy it, and nobody enjoys it. Everyone's all stressed out. But if you give yourself permission just to be with your children for two hours and like really be with them and engage with them, it's amazing. It's fantastic. It's a great opportunity that I may never get again with my my children to see how their learning is. To you know, we have to make it fun and we do things around that. But I don't know what they're learning at school every day. I just hear little snippets. But now I actually have a insider's view and I'm getting to spend two or three hours with my kids every day homeschooling. I may never get that opportunity again. So I, I look at it like that. Yeah. It's a big thing. And actually, if it, interesting thing is I was reading recently that um, in Chinese characters, the, the word crisis is actually two separate characters. And one character means danger and the other character means opportunity. So Right. Yeah, so spend your energy and spend I like your that. Yeah. focus yeah, on opportunity. Like it's a good yeah. thing. This is an opportunity that will never happen again. And sometimes it may be difficult right now in this situation to see it, but if you can spend more focus on the opportunity part as opposed to the danger part, you, you can actually you know, make this an amazing experience in some ways. Absolutely. And, and, you know, look, thank you for all of your advice throughout this. Everything you're saying, I think it's just so simple and practical, but it isn't it, it it applies to everything in life you know we these these things are going to really help us right now in the situation that we're going through but these are things that you know regardless of the situation they're just going to help us you know we're we're going to need them whatever's happening so it's it's just so important and use this opportunity to try and actually work on yourself and do this work that we don't get the chance to do i really hope that is one of the big societal things that comes out of this that we do actually see people doing that inner work rather than always looking for the external and you know having that break hopefully it does but um yeah i really appreciate the advice you've given i've just got a couple of closing questions that we sort of finish up asking each guest um with sort of related to mental health and a few other things but um the first one actually uh what is your best childhood memory? Oh, wow, that's a good one. Wow, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, this might sound weird, but um, being about three or four years old, I remember seeing my first rainbow. Okay. It was like, wow. Like, it's just like, it's just, it's just the wonder of nature, the wonder of, of anything. And it's just like, and I think that's maybe more important to me, more special to me now as, a, as an adult, because there was actually an incident recently where a good friend of mine actually had a brain tumour and, um, and she lost her sight. But just before she lost her sight, I actually took her out to see a rainbow out in the, out in the field. She saw a rainbow. So, and it's one of her most vivid memories. She actually wrote a book about her experience and, and she wrote that in her experience, actually, that 
just a simple miraculous pleasure of seeing the colors of a rainbow like in its most simple wonder is yeah it might sound like a weird one i don't know why that came to me but three or four years old it's a young memory but um no it's beautiful mate yeah and it is it's an it's another reminder as well like the things that we have right in front of us that don't cost anything you know these are, we don't we, we don't you know we've all actually got access to all of the best things in life like if we can open our eyes and just be aware of it i was i was actually having this conversation the other day um about vancouver and i was saying to a friend in general you know the things that i enjoy about it being able to just walk along the harbor see a mountain um, covered in snow and have all these, you know, in, like never ending, you know, just incredible um, landscape. It's it's accessible to everyone that is living there. But, you know, if I made more money or had this or had that, I'm still going to, it's not going to give me more or less access to what is already there. You know, we all can appreciate these things right now. Yeah. And that's where the sense of curiosity and wonder is such a magical thing. And that's mindfulness really helps with that because, Obviously now I've seen a million rainbows since and I probably yeah. don't you know, give them as full attention, but uh, we see if we can have that sense of curiosity and wonder about the most simple things like a shell or a flower or an insect or you know, nature, we can really bring that you know, mindfulness aspect to it. So yeah, it's a simple. For, simple for sure. Uh, Thank you, man. Memory. Yeah. What would you say is the single most, uh, single biggest burden on mental health in society today? Mm, yeah. Okay, simple, biggest burden. Again, it's coming back to that that overwhelm, overstimulated. Mm-hmm. There's just, yeah, there's, we're just too much. very overstimulated. There's too much noise. It's hard to cope with. Mm. And when I hear the word overwhelm, it's usually a predecessor to not coping. When I hear people saying it's overwhelming at the moment and not, not coping with the fast pace of life. And it, it's almost like it's going so fast that we actually now have to create tools to cope with it. And that's where mindfulness mm. does come in, like really, like it's, it's moving at such a fast pace, such a rapid pace that we actually have to slow it down and you know, be, be more aware of that. So, yeah, definitely that overwhelm, over, overstimulated, overwhelmed um, society. Yeah, there. definitely. Um, where do you see the state of mental health in society being in 10 years' time? Yeah, it's, um, it's moving... Well, the great thing is there's more awareness around it, which is great. And things like what you're doing right here, it's fantastic. And there's a lot more openness and you know, beyond blue and places like that are exposing it in many ways and yep. releasing the stigma, which is fantastic. So the awareness is there, definitely. And I think that's a good thing. As long as that the awareness and the openness can keep up with the pace of it, I think they can, they can parallel work together. And you know, mental health is a declining problem in many ways but if we can keep up the interventions and keep up the awareness i think we can actually you know do some good things with it and open up the conversations around it you know things like are you okay day and all these great initiatives that are happening not just here in australia but around the world are really great things as if they can keep going we're in a good we're in a good place and to, yeah to, to yep. break the stigma and also to open the conversation around it yeah definitely um, what's your personal definition of happiness? How would you define that? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's underneath. Like happiness is not external, I believe. Like it's not something I'm happy when I get this, I'm happy when I get the house, I'm happy when I get the car or happy when I... I believe it's already there underneath. Actually, our natural state of being is joy and happiness. 
So if we, if we strip away all the layers of everything else, if we strip away all the anxiety, the fear, the uncertainty, all the conditioning that we've had over the many years, underneath there's actually joy and happiness. So it's already there. So happiness is not the, here's a sim simple definition. Happiness is not the more putting in, it's actually the taking away of and finding it underneath there. It's already there. I love that. I'm going to, I'm going to steal that off you. I'm going to use that because um, <laughs> that's, that's such a good, simple way to say it, isn't it? it, it it's, it, it's really good because it is, it, it, we're, we're taught the complete opposite that we're going to become happiness is more, you know, a moment or a feeling. And, a you know, if we, it's like it almost becomes a drug. We're only happy if I get this or get that or feel this high. And, you know, it's, good to enjoy those experiences and be okay with the lows but yeah it's like that's a really simple way to put it i like that yeah and children um, are the best, the best uh, people of that if you look at your children young children they're always happy yeah. they're in the moment they're not complicated by too many layers of things that they learn later on and they're they're the, the best example of that underneath it all there's just pure joy and happiness yeah final one and i'm sure there's quite a few here uh but most courageous thing you've ever done most courageous. Wow. Yeah, that was, um, I think, yeah, going back to that, taking on that, that solo ride by myself, um, yeah. that would have been a big courageous thing to do and having the courage and trust. But from that, there was many other situations where you know, I had to have the courage to do the next thing or to cross that border or you know, doing those things. But um, yeah, having the courage to do it on my own and to believe in myself to cycle around the planet on my mountain bike. And it's a, it's a, a big step to do. That's a major one. Um, so yeah, we're, we're pretty much finished up here. And before we finish, I just want to ask you, I know you've got an online program and other work you're doing. Is there somewhere, where can we direct people to check out the work you're doing and if they want to have a look and look at your program? Sure. Sure. Well, mellowcalaco.com is a easy one. That's my website bit of a hard one to spell, but M-E-L-O-C-A-L-A-R-C-O.com, melocalaco.com. Mm -hmm. But I also have this um, a great um, online course which can take you step-by-step step through the practice of establishing a practice in mindfulness. And that's um, a six-week course um, online, and it's got animations in there which really helps to explain the you know, concepts of mindfulness. It's got some great activities, some audios. And at the moment, actually, I'm releasing that to support as many people as possible for 70% off the price. So it's only around $50 to, to, to grab that. Oh, that's, probably, that's probably a really good starting point, I would say, you know, jumping into there and, and um, doing some practice like that. It's a great way to learn it and start the practice, but also stick to the practice. There's a couple of yeah, ways you can find me obviously, obviously on all the social media platforms of you know, Mellow Kalaka. You'll find me through LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook and all those funny things. But um, I think the website's a good start. A good start. And we'll, we'll put the um, links to this website and everything else in the um, notes for the show as well. So, so yeah, Mellow, thank you so much for talking to me, mate. I, um, I got a lot of value out of this. I'm sure everyone listening will. You've given some amazing insights. I really respect you and the work you're doing and uh, very grateful to have you on here. So thank you so much for just lending me your time today, mate, and uh, really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Nick. And uh, great mission you're on here, spreading the word of movement and meditate. Oh, what's it called again? Mind. Move your mind. Move, move your, your mind. mind. Yeah. What a great, yeah. what a great concept. I love it. Move your mind. <laughs> yeah, move your mind. Thank you so much, and um, keep spreading the good word around. Will do, mate. Thank you very much. Cheers. 
This episode of Move Your Mind was produced and edited by Tim Boozer. Thanks to Melo Kalako for joining me today for Move Your Mind. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 